All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And we are back, and man, do we have an interesting show today. So, in about 30 minutes at 10.30, there's going to be another episode going live, and this is a first for the podcast in its three years' history. I got to try out my Spanish skills. And actually, it was 110% worth it. I was a little bit nervous, but maybe you guys will hear it if you guys would like to endeavor and listen in. But I figure, how do you do it without interrupting the flow? Well, I figured it out. That is right. We had an interview with none other than Lauren Lassard. One of the very few, and, and we're talking very few people to compete in double-digit Dakars and complete 10 of those. That's right. Participating in 12 and finishing in 10 of them. That is absolutely crazy. Just finishing one Dakar is crazy enough. How about we put that and rewind and repeat that for another 10 times? That is absolutely crazy. I am absolutely excited. I feel like I got to replay the interview a few times, but today's episode, what are we talking about? We're going to do a recap. I want to share some of the stories that I learned from him in the Dakar and his experience over the 10 years he got to see in 12 years, actually. So I want to get into that episode and, and give you guys a little bit of a rundown, but man, it has been a busy week. We've got a lot of recording going on and definitely, definitely, definitely looking forward to some more stuff going on. So with that being said, we're also going to have a special guest check in a little bit later. If you guys do not know or have not heard, but we are working. We're doing a lot. There's a lot going on. So we're going to be doing in this episode, we're going to have a recap of the interview with Laura Lassard. We're going to have none other than Lizzie introducing our next couple of guests. We got some in the bivouac stuff going on coming up in the next few weeks for the first two weeks of August. So we'll be checking in with her and see what we got in store. And then we'll do some rally updates. I got the bike ready. I'm, I'm trying to. What do you guys know about this Lucioli stuff? Huh? I don't know. Let, let's turn down the let's turn down the party a little bit here. So let's get in. I mean, we're going to get right into the. The meat and potatoes of this thing, or the I, I don't know the, the course majeure. Or I, no, no, that's force majeure. That's something completely different. Uh, I am operating on exactly seven ounces of coffee at the moment, so we'll be okay. All right, turn the party down, and so yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So rally update. So got the uh, got the five hundred one ready. That thing is good to go. Both the RNS units, the GPX or GFX and G, GFX 2 Pro running, making it happen. I am absolutely excited for that. I got the rally light setup going on. Look for a video coming soon on that one. Uh, I've had a few people just from the pictures. I've had a few people reach out about how I got the navigation equipment down so low on the bars and what I've done. So I want to share that with you guys. I maybe put a kit together on that because I think it's pretty cool to keep the kit and keep all of this out of the way. My goal was very, very simple. Six bolts, four on the mount, two on the switch, and then one electrical connection actually ends up being two. 
two electrical connections and you're done off it comes you're back to your regular heron hound rally bike whatever it is go do some moto stuff you have no roadbook stuff on there so that was the main goal is it racing friendly uh, i've had mixed opinions i've had the the 12 o'clock you know the 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 sun shining directly down on it and that kind of thing uh this is more of a recreational thing so if you guys are into just getting into the sport i think that this is going to be the better setup for you nice and simple no expensive bar mounts nothing to you know too complicated and fancy especially if you're not used to riding with something in front of the bars and up high it makes it a little bit difficult so anyway stay tuned to the socials for that you'll find out a little bit more about that one pretty much done on the bike i was debating back and forth and you know what guys i've been using this tubeless system in the in this bike since since it was built since socal rally and i think it's a really cool idea i really enjoy the idea of like okay this thing seals onto the wheel it's a hundred percent 360 degree beadlock i am pretty sure i did not do it right so if anybody familiar with the tubeless system that knows more about it than i do uh reach out to me give me those pro tips and and what am i doing wrong because it seems like every single time i want to move the bike i got to put air in the tires so obviously it's leaking and I got no problem, you know, checking the air in the tires. And yeah, it's, sometimes it's a few days in between, but man, it just, uh, it's a little bit annoying and I'm pretty sure it's user error. I'm sure there's, there's a ton of people that have used it. So, uh, then became the, okay, well, do I go to mooses or do I go to, um, do I go to something else? Like I got a set of the Lucioli tubes. And if you guys aren't familiar with those, those are like six inch thick tubes. And I exaggerate, but they're about a seven millimeter thick tube. Uh, your standard ultra heavy duty tubes are usually about four millimeters thick. This thing is about seven millimeters thick. It is absolutely gnarly, big piece of rubber. The rim locks are actually molded into them. So the rear has dual rim locks. The front has a single rim lock that I remember if I remember correctly, but it's actually molded into it. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to have to watch the videos on how to mount those again. But the, the, the main advantage of that is that the tube is so thick that it is resistant to the pinch flats and you can run them at a little bit lower pressure with a little more security. So is it Choya proof? Mm, probably not. So I'll probably end up running something, uh, some kind of slime or something in there. What I'm hoping for, and this is kind of interesting, is usually what I see, what I think happens is, is that a puncture, a needle or something comes through, punctures the hole, and then the tube like will burst depending on the pressure in it because the hole just rips open. If you're running, I think, a thicker tube, it may actually just puncture it and it may still have a chance to seal if you have a sealant inside of it. I don't know. That's a theory. But in talking to um, my I, I'm going to go with best friend or one of my best friends and permanent riding coach, uh, Gnarly Dave, we were talking a little bit back and forth about it. And he goes, you know, for the amount of riding that I do, being realistic for the amount of riding that I do. Mooses may be a little bit of maintenance, right? If they're just sitting there, they may shrink. Uh, you got to make sure the bike is up in the air off of the mooses so that that way they don't get flat spotted. Uh, there's a few things that are involved with that. So it's not like you just like, oh, put them in and then you're done. Very, very important on that aspect. And then plus, if you want to run a higher, a little bit higher pressure because you're going to be doing some blacktop stuff and you don't want that gummy feeling on the tire, that's going to be the way to do it. So I got some stuff to figure out on that, but I think it'll be a quick fix once I get it, uh, once I get it going. So that is the plan there. Almost done with that one. Uh, getting ready. I think, uh, I'm going to clean the bike up here in a little bit and then we're going to go down to, uh, excuse me, going to go down to, uh, the adventure GS adventure garage or Baja adventure garage. 
uh, grand opening, actually. That is uh, on Sunday. So you guys are listening to this uh, at 10 a.m. It's a little bit later this afternoon down in Playas, right across the border here with uh, U.S. and Mexico. And checking it out. I mean, they, he's uh, Marco, the, one of the uh, one of the owners of the owner is absolute fanatic of adventure bikes in Baja, does tours, does bike rentals, does all sorts of stuff. And it is absolutely awesome to see uh, his ability to uh, create a very unique spot. It's my understanding. There's a bar, there's a restaurant, a little coffee shop. They work on the bikes there. They got room to, to keep the bikes, store bikes, that kind of thing. So it's really, if you're headed into Baja, I think it's going to be one of those like first stop check in. This is what we're doing and go from there. So I'm planning on checking that out tomorrow. I'll be down there on the 790 um, and just checking out the bikes and, and seeing what's uh, what's going on down there. But that's that's the game plan for that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, yo, so, OK, those are the updates. Let's get into what we did. And this was uh, this was very interesting is we did end up talking to uh, Lauren Lassard. So it, it was very interesting. So for those that, that may not know, uh, Lauren is actually one of the few people in the history of the Dakar rally that have competed in more than 10 of them and completed at least those 10. Uh, if you look at, I mean, they're just looking at some names, uh, that are out there. I mean, he's, he's in the books with people like Cyril Dupre, Mark Coma, Alfie Cox that have completed, um, 10 or more Dakar rallies. So this is like legend stuff. You know, you do the first one. And if you guys listen to the episode, um, with Mo Hart and that recap that we did of his Dakar rally is absolutely crazy. The amount of effort and pain and suffering and everything that you go into. And it's, it's absolutely mind boggling, you know, to, the, the mentality to be able to push through that. And there's a lot of guys that have it and it's just luck of the draw one thing or another, and they end up not being able to finish it. But in Lawrence case, signing up for 12 of them, participating in 12 of them and completing 10 of those is an absolute astonishing record. And we got a chance to talk to him and I was absolutely stoked on that. Again, that episode, that raw interview is going to be airing here in a little bit. So you guys can listen in, but it is in Spanish. Um, you know, I, I just, I was trying to figure out like, how's the right way to do this, right? Like, do I interrupt and translate? Do I like, how do I do it? And I go, no, I don't want to interrupt the flow because you guys have told me, and I really appreciate that is the feedback is you like the garage feel about it. So I said, okay, you know what? I think the best way of doing this is going to be like, let's just do his episode, his thing. You guys can hear the raw interview, uh, on a separate episode. And then we will talk about the recap and I'll introduce you guys to them. I did not know who he was like you, what was interesting is, is that um, our neighbors <clears throat> introduced us and it was like, oh, you got to talk to him. He's participated in a few Dakars and stuff like, well, I had no idea that it was 10 Dakars. Uh, I knew he had been down there a few times. I knew he, he had done some stuff, but I had no idea. So I was absolutely blown away once we started talking and finding out a little bit more about it and, and listening to his stories in the studio was absolutely crazy. And to, and to go back to understand how big of an ordeal this was, is if you guys did listen to uh, the episode with Mo Hart uh, and talking about his Dakar and when you finish the Dakar and when you get to the end of it, um, you know, in, in the case of Lauren, his father was there and this was at his first Dakar and, you know, obviously all of the emotion being able to finish it. Now, mind you, Lauren started racing the Dakars when it was the Dakar rally. The Dakar rally that we knew and grew up with, the Dakar rally where 
people slept on the floor. There were no bivouacs. There were no motor homes. There were no physio. There was no, you know, factory level support trucks and things like that, that were, you know, rebuilding cars and doing all of these things and rebuilding bikes and all this that didn't exist. Everybody was in Malamoto mode, you know, eating on the ground. And, and like you said, he's like, you were next to, uh, Stefan and you're eating on the ground next to Marcoma and you're all of these legends. Everybody's nobody's anybody new. And so that was the Dakar he signed up for. And that was the Dakar that was 11,000 kilometers long. You know, you're talking about six, seven, 8,000 miles long. It was a longer event than it currently is. It was more days than it currently is. And it was much, much more of a challenge because you're not, at least in my mind, right? That it was much more of a challenge since you do not have the support, you know, you would not have the support that you would normally have had an event today. The event today that we know there's motorhomes involved, there's physical therapy there, the masseuse, all of these things, showers, hotels, all of this stuff. And there, there wasn't. And not only that, but then you have the environmental side of it where sandstorms, uh, no shelter from the sandstorms. You had no, uh, no real support out there. So man, if you, if you broke down, you could be out in the desert two, three, four, five days, you know, trying to get back to the bivouac, trying to get a ride, trying to scrounge part doing, I mean, at the end of the day is trying to survive. It's absolutely crazy. So it was no surprise to me that when we were talking that he, you know, there was, there was a moment there where he talked about his father, you know, seeing him at, at the finish line and them talking about it. And something that really stood out to me was when Lawrence said that there's no way that this was my dream. It was so intense and so tough that there's no way that this was what I signed up for. This is not what I envisioned. This hell that I've gone through is not what I pictured being the Dakar rally. And it was very, very different. So it was very, it was a very interesting point, right? A lot of people go into it and thinking like, I would never do this again. Or, you know, the, the going into it is a very different than coming out of it. And I think that that was a very interesting, uh, point made, uh, by him. And then, you know, as you mentioned, then it was like 15 days later, you start kind of like, you get that withdrawal, like, man, I wish I was there. And, and, you know, I wish, you know, one, one more stage and, you know, you just literally finished this and you didn't want anything to do with it anymore. So that was very interesting that was not the first time I had heard it in working with, um, with the guys and with the crew at, uh, Sonora rally and talking to Edo Mossi and then also talking to, uh, Alain Grossman. Very interesting is it was the same thing was said. It's stressful. It's all of this wrapped up into one and it's just this ball of emotions. And then a few days later you have the, 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 the withdrawal, which is very crazy because you get to the last day. I remember signing off on the last day, signing off on the radio once everybody was accounted for within town and, and, and everybody was back. And I remember signing off on the radio and going, man, this was a rally. This was very tough. And, and you know, part of it's like, oh man, you know, it's a sense of relief. But then a few days later you wake up and it's like, all right, man, I, I, you know, I wish we had one more stage to do it right again, you know, or to do this a little bit differently or, you know, what, what are the things that you would change and you start, your brain just doesn't want to let it go. So it's a very interesting thing that happens. Well, in Lauren's case, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, didn't want to do it again. 15 days later was like, okay. And then, then the adventure starts and that adventure started for another 10 more times, 12 more times, you know, 10 of those being finishes, which is absolutely crazy or another nine, right. In addition to the one that he finished. So it's very interesting. 
you know, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot to unpack in, in learning about it. Um, you know, the, the writing and the physical and all that. So he also does coaching and does some of these, uh, different things. And it, it, what was interesting is when we were talking about him, I'm like, okay, well, from a rookie perspective, right. For the people that are looking to go to the Dakar, what is the, what is the thing? And, and he said, you know, the Dakar rally has changed so much. You know, when he first started at the Dakar rally, everyone was an amateur. There were no pro teams. There were no pro riders that were paid, you know, a hundred percent. It was like, it was just more of this amateur type vibe and not a lot of people, you know, it, it, it was different right now. It's a whole year long process. You have, uh, physical therapy coaches, you have, you know, your training coach, you have, uh, psychologists involved, sports psychologists involved, you have factory teams, you know, you have all of this different support that's changed. Now, mind you, it's one for the other, right? Maybe the, the life after the stage is a little better now, but the level of competition has raised, has been raised several times now that you have all of these new competitors. I mean, before there was only like five or six, seven guys, maybe now you have a field of 20 or 30 guys that could be in the running at any given time, which is crazy across all of these classes. So it was interesting to hear, you know, from his point of view, when he started, what it looked like. And he said, you know, it was very, it not crude, but it was very different, you know, than what it is now. And he went through the whole era of map men and, and having people that would give, you know, the coaching of how to how to finish courses sooner, you know, your race waypoint to waypoint and, you know, figuring out being smart, conserving energy. And there was a lot to it. And that was, it, it really stood out to me, you know, how the, how the change went. And he said, you know, for people that are looking to go, you know, it's, it's a physical thing, you know, it is a mental thing for sure. Uh, and then, and then from there, you know, there's, then there's a money aspect of it. And it's very different when you talk about, you think, okay, money. All right, cool. We got the funding. We're going, you know, we're going to make it happen. Uh, and then you, you physically start training and practicing road books and doing that stuff. But one thing that was interesting to me that I really didn't know was the, how a sports psychologist gets involved with these kind of things. And that was really interesting to me. I was like, well, wait, whoa, whoa, like, are you talking about your feelings or what's the, and he tells me more about how it's no, it's more oriented towards the actual focus side of things, being able to focus for very long periods of time. You know, you think, think about our generation now, right? Our generation now is like 15 seconds, right? 30 seconds, 60 seconds. You have a quote unquote long form video on, on Instagram, you know, look at YouTube, YouTube, they're like 10 minutes or less is the, is the videos you want, right? You know, or 15 minutes or less, or you want a shorter form video, and I sometimes look at it and I'm going, okay, well, yeah, I'm not going to watch this guy for an hour and a half. Show me how to do this. Oh, look, here's an eight minute long bit. I'm going to choose that eight minute long video. I just cut to the chase. Right. So that was very interesting to me is, is how he said that that had an impact and being able to do it. And, and you know, they, from like doing roadbook work, you know, here's a roadbook, mark the roadbook. And the, the psychologist is trying to a psychologist, therapist, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, is, is working purposely to distract them with other things and, and tests and choices and things so that the mind learns to focus on that. Because like I said, it's, is it's mentally tough and it is so much going on 
that everything has to work in unison. You know, he does do, he's a rider coach as well. He's trained, he trains navigation and stuff. It was very interesting when we talked about that part of it. You know, you talk about navigation and you think like, oh, well, you know, here's the, and, and he said, before we even hit a road book, he would have his students, you know, okay, you need to learn, you need French. You, you need to memorize, you need to learn what these symbols are. You need to learn and speak the language and what they mean. And it needs to be second nature before we even go out on a road book, you know, cause like you say, I mean, a road book, you can just buy the center box, just by the tulip note, you could pretty much navigate it, but it says you want to know all of the language. You want to know everything. You want to know every box, every meaning, everything that's involved in that. And you want it to be second nature. This goes back to the mental aspect of it is, is you're trying to conserve your energy. You're trying to conserve your focus. So if it's taking more focus for you to do these things, then yes, it's going to become more difficult, more mentally taxing. And for some people, some people hate being physically tired more than they hate mentally tired. And some people, it's the other way around. They absolutely despise being mentally tired versus physically tired. And the Dakar rally will find you. Whichever side you're of, of the fence you're on, you made it very clear that it will find you. And that is a very interesting point. You know, you talk about these things, how progressing through it and working through these like little bites at a time, your writing ability working on your writing, working on your, and, and even, even so much, he said, not so much the writing technique, but the strength and endurance. He said, you don't, you don't need to bench 350 10 times. You need to bench 35 pounds a hundred times or 35 pounds. Yeah. Did I say 3,500? You need to bench 35 pounds a hundred times, not 350, 10 times. You know, you need to, have that ability to endure and do way more. So everything you do is you're landing in a squat, you're landing, you know, your arms, you're like all of these things. Now, rider form, I think that's where, you know, when you talk to and and we've heard some stuff like say from Jimmy Lewis, right? And if you guys follow his videos and talk to him uh and and seen the, what he shows, you know, it's all about riding with little effort, right? The least amount or reduced effort. Balance is a big thing that he teaches. You know, if you've talked to or you maybe heard the episode with him here on the show, uh, there was an instance we talked about. He said, I can ride my bike slower than you can in the sand. And it's because of balance. And and that was after a comment that I made. It was like, oh, well, I know that a bike is a little easier to handle at speed in the sand. If you're going too slow, then you're you're causing, you know, you're you're making yourself work harder. And he goes, no, wrong. It's balance. If you have balance, then it doesn't matter. And that is, well, it does matter, but it doesn't. There's a key part to all of this. So when we talked and, and everything that we're going over, and like you said, is you, you com compartmentalize everything, you organize everything, and everything has a purpose. You know, learning the road books from the beginning, learning the language, getting quizzed on the language, and then going out to navigate, and then working on that, and then controlling yourself. You know, you have everything you have. You have the fastest car. You've got the best suspension. You've got the best bike, the perfectly set up. I mean, like if KTM handed you the keys to one of their, they don't use keys, but you know, you know what I'm saying? If they handed you the keys to not the rally factory replica, but a real, the rally, 100% rally bike that Benavides is running 
uh, or, or one of the, you know, or Toby Price or any of those, would you know what to do with it? And would you be able to do what they do with it? And would you be able to do? And that was the thing is like being realistic with your abilities and being realistic with your skill set. There's absolutely no reason why you need to find out how fast that bike will go, you know, in the first few stages. You just need to ride your own race and do what you need to do. And that was the biggest thing. He says there's a lot of mistakes that get made because people will go out super hot. And that was what he was saying. He He's trained a lot of drivers uh, now, you know. He's been recently has been more navigating for cars than actually riding. And in the navigation for cars, that's a conversation that they have to have. It's like, look, slow down. This is not you. I I don't care who told you or what they told you. This is absolutely not a sprint race. This is all about survival. And that was something that we talked. You know, he came up in an area where when it came time to race, when it was time to run the Dakar rally, you know, if you rode like an idiot, right, I'm going to gun it. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do all this stuff. Cool. Those three rocks now mean you got to find a wheel when you get to the next bivouac. You know, that one time you, you, you front end came out from under you and you bent the bars. Now you got to deal with that at the bivouac. How much energy and how much time do you really have? You know, and that was an interesting, you know, that was an interesting concept. And I think if, if I remember the quote correctly, you know, um, from, I believe it was Willem Avenant is everything's for sale in the bivouac except time. You can't buy time. And that is what's very important. It's all about everybody you talk to about is time management. You know, we, we, so far as, like he told me, is, you know, his organizational side of it. Before he even goes to the rally, all of his clothes is packed up in bags. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, so on and so forth. So zero decisions to be made. Here's bag number one. Everything I need is in there. Don't need to think about it. I'm like, that just makes sense. You know, you've taken the time, you've decision, you know, decision paralysis. Uh, you, you're saving your ability to make decisions for a little bit later. And you think, well, what, what's the big deal? I'm just going to decide what I'm going to wear. Well, yeah, that's the same as trying to decide. Yeah, I feel pretty good about going left at this. I'm a little confused, but I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's to the left. You may think about that with a little bit more clarity had you not had to make three, four, five useless decisions earlier, you know, and it just it's the things that we don't see, the things that we don't realize that are that make a big make a big impact. I mean, talking about literally working with a sports psychologist and trying to distract him while he's doing his navigating or while he's working and and marking up his roadbook. It's the little things. And that was a very that was something that he drove home a lot. And it was a lot of, you know, it, it, it's the mental game and being ready for literally what you're about to sign up for and what you're about to participate in. And so that was very interesting to me is listening to that and, and seeing, you know, hearing him talk about this and, and how it was. And then there came a moment in the conversation that it really did change. And, and he mentioned it as like, you know, he he's seen people quit the rally because they had nothing left to, they had nothing left in the tank. They had nothing. It wasn't because the bike was good. The gear was good. It was, they just mentally had nothing left in the tank to continue to push forward. And that's, what's going to help, you know, is, is push you forward and do things is, is the mindset, right? The discipline of it, right? Motivation will come and go. You've heard, you know, famous people, you know, 
like Jocko Wilnick that, you know, say that is like, you know, motivation is fun and all, but it's really, it's all about the discipline. Motivation comes and goes. Discipline does not. Discipline is what it is. And you need to be disciplined in order to do these things. And that was very, very interesting. And he followed that up telling me all of these things by telling me one of the things that I heard that I, it took me a second. It literally took me a second to put myself into the shoes of somebody doing this. And that is only the mental side of it. And just trying to imagine, trying very difficult to imagine this. And I still, I mean, even thinking about it now, I just think like, this is absolutely crazy. So we all know that the Dakar rally left the original Dakar where now the Africa eco race has taken over. Excuse me. We interrupt this for a uh, coffee break here. So we know where the, that the Dakar rally left Africa eco races there. And there was a lot of terrorism. There's a lot of things going on, right? Pirates and just drama. There's, you know, um, for those of you who may not know, there was things, I mean, uh, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was actually one of the KTM support trucks back then, um, you know, in the, in the semi-class, that's how they would move the parts around. They would have spares to, you know, actually hitting a landmine and, and wiping the truck out, occupants and all. That is absolutely crazy to think that. You're racing, and next thing you know, you go through this. And so, in thinking about that, and for those of you that are listening, and you're maybe, you know, if you take a second to think about that, you're racing, you're doing, you know, I was going too fast. I hit a ditch. That person hit a ditch, and that's it. They're gone because they, they were doing something they loved. But that it was a, another human, another person that put something there that booby trapped that they didn't know was there. And it's complete. I mean, to me, it's like, it's, I don't want to draw the connection because it's very different, you know, in, in certain sense, but that's like booby traps in, in some of these races in Baja, you know, and some of the, some of the other local races, you know, you don't know what that could cause. You don't know what that, what could happen as a result of that. And, you know, I don't know all the politics and all the stuff that was going on, but Let's go back to his experience and what he said to me and which was very interesting. And it took me a second to process it, but we all know that the Dakar rally has long liaisons and that they do a lot of commuting. I mean, thousand kilometer, 1200 kilometer days was, was a thing still is some of the stages, but a lot of their stuff, they didn't have roads. Roads weren't developed in these areas. A lot of it was all desert riding. And he told me that on one of the stages that they had to ride out on, they had cleared a, if I remember not mistaken, about a 200 kilometer, right? For those playing the go home game, that's 62 miles per 100 kilometers, roughly. So you're talking about a 120 mile long stretch that they basically cleared with a dozer and, and graded it just for them to be able to commute out of this area to not have issues with landmines. Could you imagine lining up at midnight to start on this long ass liaison 
on and most of you guys if you've ridden bikes you know it's like literally cutting your own trail right nobody has been on this road they literally just graded it through the sand so it is not pretty just so that they can get them through this area safely how crazy is that can you imagine sitting there waiting to take on the green flag knowing that in in 50 kilometers to the left or right of you, there could be a landmine waiting for you to go just off course. I mean, I don't want, uh, I don't want to see this isn't to be like negative about the rally. The rally, we all knew the rally was an adventure and we know the history of the Dakar rally for those of you guys that have been following it for a really long time. But could you imagine that the mental aspect of that, just the mental aspect of it, you know, forget that you're going to have to negotiate this road that there is no hard pack on, that you're not going to be able to relax, that you're going to be fighting the bike. You know, how crazy is that? I mean, that that's that is the the Dakars that he progressed through and, you know, ultimately going down into and, and he admitted it, it was still tough. I mean, the, yeah, the terrain was different, but it was absolutely still tough. But going into the South American uh, editions of the Dakar. Water, rain, cold, you know, climbing some of these ranges and, you know, being several thousand meters above sea level and and dealing with cold. And, you know, there was no heated gear. He said the best you had was like jet ski gloves, neoprene gloves, you know, and that was just, you know, how you did it. And he said oh, he saw a lot of people tap out, you know, that they couldn't handle that. And it was very interesting, you know, to hear these stories and, and to just what he has done. So I'm, you know, I, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to have, you know, be able to sit down and talk to him and, and, and everything he's done. And now he helps train riders and get them out to the Dakar, you know, and, and participate, uh, you know, learning how to navigate, learning how to do all of these things. And then not only that, but, you know, he's now since become a distributor for KTM in Uruguay uh, and, you know, the whole brand he's gone he's traveled he's done all these seen all these bikes you know he's looking at other rallies and looking at other events and you know he knows the focus he knows what needs to happen right now it's you know he works he starts working with his um the sports psychologist he starts working with the trainer he starts you know working on the physical side of it and making sure that he's giving himself the best opportunity like i mentioned his all hey as the years go up you know you don't bounce as easy from from injuries so you need to be that much more prepared so it was very interesting to hear, you know, all of these different, you know, little stories and little things that, that he has had to experience and go through. I think it was one of those, one of those things that it's a reminder. You never know who you're talking to and who you're never standing next to. And I think that for me, that was, that was really, really crazy, you know, in, in meeting him and having the opportunity to meet them and, and and talk about all these adventures, you know, and now, now, um, also one of the other, and if you guys are on, on the socials, you may have seen it. Um, but, uh, there's a gear company out here, radical gear and that, that he's working with now and, and they're coming up with different, uh, different jerseys and, and just riding gear. And I think that is a really cool, you know, I think that's a really cool, offshoot of what he's doing and you know not only is it the bikes but also involved in in the riding gear side of things and so how awesome is that right you know you'd be able to be involved in this motorcycle industry in all aspects and in different aspects of it i think that that to me sounds like you know he's he's living the dream so i was i 
very excited. And, and, you know, I, I'm trying to think of through all of these things, but those were, this is like part one of the story of all of these things that I remembered. And as I listened through the interview, you know, we might, I'll get you guys another story and, and do that. But it's just, it's, I just, those were the things that stood out in my mind, you know, and seeing how the Dakar has progressed from where it was to where it is now, it's not gotten easier. It's gotten faster. It's gotten, but the days have reduced. So I don't know, pick your, pick your challenge, right? Did you want more days at the Dakar and a more rough, you know, everybody is Malamoto. You know, he, he said it, he has the utmost respect for the guys that run the Malamoto class. It's still insane because that's how it was back in the day. Everybody was in Malamoto. You'd show up to a bivouac and you weren't even sure if your tools were going to be there yet or your box, you know? So it was always a very interesting, you know, perspective. There was no shelter from sandstorms. There was no nothing. I mean, you just, you know, eating, you know, eating out in the middle of nowhere uncovered and just like getting food in and having to cover up because of the sand and all of this stuff. I mean, there's all of these little things that you just don't realize like how crazy it is, you know, how it's changed. So now in my mind, I'm thinking right now, I'm like, I think my next hobby for a while is going to be watching old school Dakar videos. Just go to YouTube and see how many of those I can find and do that stuff. So if you find a cool one, tag me on that. I, w- I want to see, you know, especially on the bike guys, you know, I talked about it with uh, with Andy Kirker from score and on this stuff. And, you know, the vehicle guys, I, you know, my respect, there's a lot of good, good, you know, guys that have gone from motorcycles uh, to the vehicles and and have been successful. But the bike guys have something a little more extra, you know, and I think that that's that rings true, you know, in Baja or anywhere where you race off road at speed. You know, you don't have a you you get ejected and it's you versus the ground. You know, if the ground in a truck or a car decides to take you for a ride, it's you inside the car. So it's the terrain versus the car and then you. So kind of an interesting aspect. I mean, oh, yeah. okay. so I mean, there are safety improvements right now. We have airbags that the riders are wearing airbags, which I think is total, which is a great idea. Um, you know, the protective gear, the technology behind the protective gear has obviously grown, whether it be innovation or, or necessity or necessity is the mother of innovation or some, I don't know, some saying like that, but you know, you think that the bar has raised so high and how these guys have to ride now, you know, that was something that we talked about is how fast and how committed that the top guys have to ride now in order to stay competitive their contracts, their, all of these things, you know, depend on it. And again, the conversation came up and, you know, it's one of those things, whatever wins is what sells. So the Dakar rally, you know, you got to win the Dakar rally. You got to have a good showing at the Dakar rally. And it's a lot of pressure, you know, and, and, and for guys that are competitive and guys that have worked very, very hard, you know, they understand and they've seen how quickly things turn around and so they want to be competitive and they want to be up there. And unfortunately, it's it's going to take its toll. And it's made it it's just increased that level of difficulty. So, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think that it's definitely something that we're going to continue to see more of. I want to see more of it. I want to talk more with these guys. I'm, I'm going to listen. I mean, just like you. I mean, I had the interview. We did it. We talked and I was in awe of this whole thing. And now I'm like trying to remember it. And I was like, OK, well, maybe. I'll play it in my headphones as I go through and we'll talk about some of this, but it's a, it's a two hour long interview. 
you know, which was crazy. I mean, it literally felt like 30 minutes, but we talked about so much and I learned so much. I was like, okay, well, I think this is, uh, I think this is definitely one of those, like, I think this is the best approach. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's too late now. You guys are going to have, if you, if you want to listen to it, it's going to be up here. Uh, I don't know. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, if you've reached this moment in the episode, it's already been up for 10 minutes. So if you guys want to jump ship and want to go take a listen to that, you could do that. But again, uh, it is in Spanish. I'm just like, Hey, you know what? I think that it was more comfortable. As I said earlier, I wanted to maintain that garage feel that feeling that you guys have told me that you enjoy and I enjoy better. I hate, I do not like pre-planning stuff, you know, just like in photography, uh, uh, to me, a posed photo, something where you kind of have to pose for and all this stuff that, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't do it for me. I prefer photos that were just taken in the spare of the moment, you know, and, or spur of the moment or what, I don't know, whatever the saying goes, I got to get my saying, I got to start working on those, you know, making sure I get those right. But I think that that is definitely a, um, I think it was, I, I don't know. I picked the right way. I don't know. Or what do you guys think? How should I, if I do another interview like that, what do you guys think? What's the, what would be the better way of doing it? So send me a message on Instagram or, uh, however you want to get a message to me. Uh, you could still do it. I believe if you go to Instagram, there is the link in bio, you can click on there and it'll send feedback to me. You can get that as well. Uh, so let me get, uh, let's see what else is going on here. I'm going to rewind this. I'm reaching out here. Okay. We interrupt or no, we're no, no longer interrupting. I was interrupting there for just a second. I was reaching out. Uh, okay. I mean, that's been, I'm, I'm, I'm still blown away the technology and all of these things. And then, you know, telling me how, you know, the importing and how bikes good, uh, it's how bikes go into some of these different, uh, you know, exporting the bike out of the U S getting the bikes, you know, or from Austria, getting them into Uruguay, the, the logistics about that and how that works. It's just been absolutely crazy. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to, I'm like I said, I'm going to listen to the interview again. I'm going to get you guys some more, more tidbits of it. But I think those were the most memorable things to me that just like absolutely stood out. I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to do the recap show, these are the things that need to be, I need to talk about these things. And I literally without notes, this is literally just remembering things out of the conversation that stood out the most to me, which is absolutely crazy. I mean, it's, you know, again, to finish one. Okay. Finish 10. Wow. Sign up for 12. You know, and not only that, but, you know, like in talking, right, that it comes a point where it's like the finish is almost expect you already you already know the recipe to finish. So now it's just the rinse and repeat and the preparation and doing a little better and, and not being. And that was that was one of the things he said to anybody going to the Dakar is all the first years of the years. Ignore the standings. Don't look at the standings. Don't just focus on your rally. Focus on the day-to-day and just be done. Just just do it that way. There's no sense in trying to be competitive, do all of these things, win classes, do all of this stuff if you just are having trouble finishing the day-to-day. You know, so I think that was really sound advice. And a lot of people, you know, if you guys remember when we first talked to Skyler, that was one of the things he said. It's like it wasn't until like the second to car where 
you know, it's just like, all right, not as competitive. We're just going to go out and we're just going to do our best. And the results automatically showed. So it's one of those things. It's like, you have to just pick your battle. And is it really, does it really matter? Because I mean, yeah. Okay. In the, the pro teams, you know, the rally GP. Yeah. Those guys are competing. I mean, what they competed 14 days and on day 15, they were five seconds apart. Okay. The majority of the classes aren't like that. I think what's going to kill you in the majority of the classes or the lower standings is literally the loss of time riding over your head, getting lost, having to do extra repairs. Then that means the next morning you're not as fresh as you could be, you know, all of these little things. I mean, yeah. Okay. If you, you went on the BAS to car team. Okay. That's cool. But that's not going to beat you riding super fast, hitting a rock and, and bugging your wrist a little bit, right. You know, screwing your wrist up a little bit, you know, had you been riding a little bit slower, maybe it wouldn't have been as harsh. Uh, the bike might have even wiggled a little bit in the sand and it would have wiggled just enough to pull you off the line of that rock you were going to hit. There's just so many variables, so many things that are out of your control that you just don't realize that, wow, this could literally screw me up, you know? So I don't know. I, I think that's uh that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting side of things, you know, is, is ignore the results. You know, I heard it from the guys with American rally originals, you know, talking to David Pearson, you know, about that is like, just ignore, we're all ignoring the results. Just ignore the results. Just go, you know, day by day. So very, very interesting. Okay. We will be back. I'm sure we're going to get more, uh, more questions to that and, and I'll, you know, go through that interview. But yeah, again, if you guys want to take a listen to the interview, that interview should be live here in a few minutes or is actually already live. Uh, so we can take on this. So with that being said, let's move on to the next one and let's see if we could get Lizzie on the line and we'll talk a little bit about our upcoming guests. Hello, Lizzie. There it is. <laughs> Third time's the charm. I know, right? A little bit of the, the technical difficulties, but... <laughs> all is well now <laughs> how are you it's a busy day doing well yes it has been a very busy day but same thank you in 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 helping me with that being a busy day but i appreciate that it's been good so far great weekend so far good what's going on good, with you good where are you at oh, Where's uh, you're out walking the dog well, you said? Uh, yeah so i have a um a shiloh shepherd but i am actually uh dog sitting another dog so kind of juggling the two of them they seem to be fine so um but yeah my weekend now just now started it's funny your weekends being friday saturday mine are sunday monday so um so i just got through uh helping i have a, a little housekeeping business that brings in good just good side cash mm-hmm. and um today was a fun little um, I got this, um, uh, this German, uh, lady that I help and she's just adorable. <laughs> so I've been over there with her and, uh, we wrote Jeff into some stuff. So, so that's what I've been into. <laughs> and oh my God, the ladies love my husband. It's, it's so fun to watch Nice. <laughs> just so they're not like young and super hot. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a limit. There's a limit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so this is the first uh, the first segment. We had talked about it. I talked about it a couple of times. I mentioned it in some of the episodes. Uh, but that you're going to be helping uh, getting us uh, coordinated. I got a super Yay! busy schedule, but you've been uh, a great part already. I mean, it's already showing. Uh, getting guests lined awesome. up and all that. So let's get right to it. Who do we got coming up? Let's do. We got a couple of well, guests. Yeah, we have a, a a lineup of guests, and you can remind me who's going first, but we have um, Daniel Velasquez um, in uh, Ensenada. Mm-hmm. Um, he's coming up, and um, that's, he's going to be a fun one. I, uh, I think I started just, like, chatting with him uh, over Facebook, just seeing that he was, a, he was at least – close and around some of the stuff that I was sort of starting to get involved with, with last year's Baja 1000, right after Baja 1000, I started recognizing his name from like posts on the Facebook, they, the Baja 1000 big group, Mm -hmm. um, Facebook thing, just watching some of those posts. So started seeing some of his stuff. So really fun to interact with and like very responsive and, so he has a, a shop there um, in Ensenada, Car- and you can tell me, is it Carrera 777? Yeah. Is that how you would say that? Yeah, that's the one. Um, okay. Yeah, so so he's got that, and I did get to um, catch up with him a little bit and and uh, find out some fun facts about him. Um, his first bike was in 1986, a YC80. Okay. Um, and, uh, another cool fun fact is that he grew up watching the Baja 1000 cross right in front of his house. So here's this Mexican kid. I, and, and honestly, that's the thing that for me going down there and experiencing the Baja 1000, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it is their culture and what it, it's like, it, it runs the Baja 1000 is runs in their blood. Mm-hmm. Like it, that is just the most amazing thing to me about, about seeing all of that or one of the most amazing things. But anyway, that's, um, he started by, um, watching that like from his house mm-hmm. at four and five years old, he was riding BMX and just like pretending and, and, uh, and, and his dad at eight took him to Supercross. Another cool thing about a lot of these stories that I'm exploring is that their dads got them involved. And it was like a, and, and again, like the um, a most recent magazine AMA article is about dads and their sons and their families and digging into all of that. You just see how much family is involved in all of this. And I think you've talked about this a lot um, about how these families just totally get involved and they end up pitting them and, you know, chasing them and things like that. It's pretty cool. So, so we've got Daniel coming up. Is there, I mean, I have a whole list of things that he's told me about, but that's a start. Um, one cool thing also that, um, that he did say to me, uh, is that he formed, uh, Carrera 777, Mm -hmm. uh, with a dream to turn it into something, 
that would really fuel his passion, pardon the pun there, um, for Baja racing and just offered motorbiking. And, and, uh, uh, Cove is his most recent, um, discovery that's helping him do that. And he's, he's a Honda guy, um, but is just absolutely digging into Cove's, um, uh, machines. So, um, that's, we've got him coming up. Yeah. Um, I saw, yeah. I saw him. Well, this is interesting. So I saw a, uh, article score international just released, uh, an article on the score news on their journal or score journal. I think it is. I, yeah. I gotta go back and look the name, but I saw that it was yes, him and Andy Kirker, journal. uh, riding the Covey around. Yes. Can you believe that? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, the, I just, you know, when, when I first, I feel like I heard about these bikes Back at Baja Six Day, do you remember commenting at all about those bikes then, or do you remember that it was a buzz in the rally world? Were were those bikes showing up? Because I feel like they were. I just can't. It was. It was a. It was like a rumor buzz, and and there wasn't. I think everything was in full swing and in hater mode. <laughs> I sa- I know that yeah. sounds bad, but it's kind of like no. You know, everybody's no. like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then they put three bikes across the line at Dakar. So, it, <laughs> it, yes, I and it's. I remember. I feel like the first thing I remember hearing about it is like, oh, it's just this crazy bike, and it's you know, it's kind of color. The f- colors are real. You'll you'll notice it right away. You'll see it. I feel like somebody on your show said. When you look at the lineup, you'll recognize this car or sorry, this bike, because the, the colors are just so funky or something. They didn't use the word funky. That's me. <laughs> but yeah. um, but then like like in at first, I'm like, well, OK, that's interesting. Also, China. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but like, dang, they their goals are like on point. They, they like a little bit like y'all are y'all are nuts, but they're on point like everything that they're you know um shoot dirt bike test the other day um shout out to uh um to jimmy lewis on that but like good things to say about these bikes it's i'm just yeah yeah i think it's uh the bike has an interesting future for sure and they and they've yeah. already proved themselves pretty quickly um yeah you know, i know there's still probably some people holding out you know waiting to go see i told you so but uh, oh, sure. it's sounding like it's they're going to have to wait a little longer because everything seems to be lining mm. up. Plus, I saw they have that new mm. rally motors already uh, 20 kilos lighter or something like that, which is crazy. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they're, they're working. So nice. OK, yeah. so, so we've got Daniel from Carrera 777 coming up. Uh, who else we got? And then you already mentioned him. We have Andy Kirker coming up. That's going to be fun. Um, I just went and re-listened to a previous that previous show that you did with him mm-hmm. when the the talk and the dream was merging rally with uh, Baja One Thousand, mm-hmm. and so disappointed that that didn't come to fruition. But shoot, who even knows? But we've got Andy coming up, and um, wow, where do you start with that guy's? Um, uh, history in in motorbiking and racing it's like it's like he's done it all and my goodness he's rattling off these you know time frames um and i'm like bro you're still riding and you're still hyper involved in all of this 
and you've got like 50 years in on this. Did you start when you were like two? <laughs> it's, I, I mean, you know, and he's uh, what I love about him. My first interaction with Andy mm -hmm. was because I was going to be um, driving a chase truck for a buddy. Shout out Etienne Jelinas. Oh, yeah. Um, who, uh, after Sonora in 2022, he stayed down. Um, he had some work. He's an artist and had um, some symposiums he was doing um, down there. So did some work and then was looking for a team to ride with for Baja 1000 in November. So Sonora last year was what helped me. That was October or late September. I can't remember. But anyway... Anyway, he couldn't find anyone, and I was like, I was jonesing to go down there and be support crew for somebody, and I reached out to him, and he was like, I can't find anybody to, to even to join up with. Maybe I'm going to do Ironman, and, and maybe, anyway, he ended up doing Ironman and said, hey, if you can come, you can drive my truck as a chase, as you can be my chase truck. Mm -hmm. At that point, I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. And also, oh, my Lord, what the <laughs> what have I gotten into? Yeah. So I started just reading anything and everything I could. And I came across Andy and like was just like so amazed at how responsive and how communicative immediately. Again, this the race culture is so different than what I would have expected from, you know, like the only thing I knew up to, to up bef before I discovered you, Victor, mm -hmm. is, you know, like Supercross and and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, to, to reach out to the 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 um, kind of director of communications and liaison between SCORE International and all of the motorbike uh, folks who are who are involved, mm -hmm. like to reach out to him and have him respond was like, man, this guy is something special. Also, this sport is something special. So um, that's going to be a really that's just going to be a really fun listen as far as um, what what Baja has been. Wow. He's been, you know, there he's I asked him a question. I said, well, um, were you uh, and I'm going to wow, I'm blanking on his name, Bruce Ogilvie. Oh, yeah. So did you know, you know, did you interact with Bruce? Was he, you know, someone that that you knew? <laughs> and uh, so the back, the, the tiny little back on him that I know is that he was an incredible, not only an incredible participant down in Baja, but also just an amazing mentor and, and, and like kind of was one of those behind the scenes, quiet kind of uh, guys who maybe wasn't going to bring to light the, how amazing he was as an individual. Mm -hmm. um, and he has passed. But um, anyway, uh, just um, just so I was so curious then having read about Bruce to see. And, and so I asked Andy about him and he he said, yeah, I knew him, but as a competitor and, and gosh, I, I should pull it up. But he said something like, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely beat him more times than uh, lost to him or something like that. So it's just kind of a funny little, I was waiting for this like heartfelt story about, yeah, Bruce decided, and he, it, it was a little bit different than that, but also, <laughs> <laughs> also it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of who, you know, who Andy is. He's, you know, been, been racing this stuff and um, he did have some um, early 
in his earlier years, he had, and I did hear this on your show, and he mentioned it, um, that uh, after having racing success, um, he uh, just suffered some tragedy um, with a buddy of his who who uh, who passed racing. I think I'm getting that right. And uh, he had to hang it up for a little while. But he turned around and started, like, doing s- some superbike races, which, you know, just like, okay, you're going to pause, but also you're going to pause and go do that. Yeah. Yeah, switch disciplines. <laughs> yeah, to something equally insane. So, nice. awesome. you know, uh, his his first bike, fun fact, was mm-hmm. a 1970 Yamaha 125cc uh, he was 14. Also, again, like, how are you 14 and not two? Um, <laughs> I know, right? Also, With all the experience. Yeah. Also, uh, um, is a his his favorite ride now is a Honda CRF 450L mm-hmm. that um, Colton Udall built. So um, there again, keeping it right there in the in the score Baja family. I know, right? Yeah, and you know, Colton Udall, I think he's won a couple races or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I have uh, heard his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's actually one I didn't know. I did not know that uh, that Colton had be- built uh, built his ride. And that's... Uh, yeah. And Colton's pretty, you know... I, I had my bike up there. Uh, I was on my way to the SoCal rally and he took a peek at my bike and right away, you know, pointed out a couple and suggested a couple of things. So he's got an eye for detail for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, that's oh, cool. one of the few people I would probably let uh, wrench on my bike. So And and just across the board, knowledgeable, really, yeah. really, it's really fun listening to him and watching uh, the different things he puts out there. I'm always so excited when he comes across whatever, mm-hmm. you know, social that, that I'm scrolling when I should be, you know, doing something else. <laughs> um, but just his little, those little videos, little blips he does are, are really cool and, and yeah. like accessible, mm-hmm. like very, very cool little tips in that. So yeah, I can imagine that I I would probably be super excited if he were looking at my bike. And also a little bit like, oh, shit, what's he going to come up with? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Somebody is always talking about how their credit card and this mm-hmm. sport being mm-hmm. and, and chasing waypoints being like super, <laughs> yeah. super bad on the wallet. It is. It helps make the wallet lighter. That is for sure. <laughs> nice. So cool. Yeah. So, okay. So we got Daniel Velasquez coming up, uh, this Sunday or following Sunday. And then after that, we'll have Andy Kirker. Super great. I am Perfect. really excited. It's fun to be interacting with these guys and, and like it really, for me personally, it amps up my like hype to mm-hmm. be going on Spotify and checking. Okay. Is, is the new episode up yet? Is it, is it, is it, is it aired yet? um super good and fun and these are just fun guys to listen to so yeah yeah very very cool stuff yeah i've had uh i've i've already i've interacted with them in the past in real life right not just in the podcast and obviously you heard the the kirker podcast and yeah i i agree with you they're really cool uh really cool guys i mean i think that that's uh uh it's awesome to see that, that, you know, not, uh, there's no like ego about them or, you know, they're not, that they are not approachable. They're actually very approachable, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising, refreshing, all of the things. Yeah. 
Perfect. Yeah. So um, I have a quick little question for you. See. You've made this little um, switch over. Um, we've been doing full on rally and now we're going Baja, which I'm so excited about. Um, has that just been an, an organic switch over or is there um, ha- have there been some things that you've just been rolling around in your head that you're like, you know, what? let's go. Let's do let's do a Baja segment here, uh, you know, a score racing or Baja I may not be asking that correctly, but but I, I'm just curious about that, uh, about the progression on that. Yeah. Uh, so basically what ended up happening is uh, it's actually I blame Nathan Looney from Countershocks because <laughs> uh-huh. he uh, he made a comment, tagged me in a post. I believe it was one from either Taco Mike uh, or it was uh, pretty. Actually, I think it was a Taco Mike post, but basically they said, you know, we could, uh, you know, help work on this and and. And really, that's what kicked it off. And I said, you yeah. Know, yeah, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the score racers. That was my original route. So I started racing in score, uh, obviously, yeah. the vehicle side of it. And so I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 happy to help, uh, you know, help grow the sport. You know, rally is still yeah. the, rally is still the passion and will be the focus of the show. Uh, right. But, you know, that's not to say, I mean, some of these guys are actually going to be future customers. They're going to be future rally guys. You know, as they go through, they race and they do this stuff and they discover other sports. Um, uh, I'm going to use the word time out as they decide, you know, like, okay, you know, this is cool. I've been there, done that. Uh, I think they'll have it. You know, they'll they can progress to another sport. But at the same time, you know, let's you know, let's share their stories because there's some crazy stories. I mean, and true. We all know the Dakar. We know the Dakar is a bucket list item, but so is the Baja 1000. So I think it's fair to talk about both. Yeah, I I agree. I I think I know the post you're uh, talking about, and and I agree. And the thing, I mean, I, from what I'm seeing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I'm what I'm understanding, we didn't start out rally like there there were these other starts, and all of a sudden we're all like, holy hell, what's this navigation stuff? So so like Baja is is almost like a precursor in some ways, and and it's really. It, Already, it it has expanded my understanding of of off road motorbike racing and and all sorts of off road racing altogether. Um, it's it's yeah, sure, it's different, um, but there there is it, it, there's a co- true connection. Yeah, there's a true connection, and I'm seeing it within all these guys as I'm interviewing the guys that I'm interviewing even. Uh, you know, there there is a gut level um, connection of uh, well, first of all, the word I, I don't know that I can find a better word, but passion, mm-hmm. um, connection with family. So much of this, it's it's just amazing to me how so much of this um, comes back to either family or really, really, really close friends, and <laughs> and just being real, mm-hmm. just being like you said, a very approachable no ego involved um just real yeah i agree i i definitely agree i think that that you know it's at its both events both levels are are competition and mm-hmm. and that's i think what's the uniting thing for for a lot of these guys and obviously the terrain and the and the location and that kind of stuff but you know everybody mm-hmm. they're racers you know it, it, any which way you slice yeah. it so awesome yeah well perfect all right Perfect. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the heads up and giving us the uh, the heads up on the guys coming up for uh, the next couple of episodes. 
Uh, we will you check, are welcome. We will check back in with you. And, uh, and again, I really appreciate uh, you helping me with this. This is, uh, oh. this is pretty awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It is my absolute delight. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Say hi to Jeffrey. You guys have fun the rest of the weekend and we'll talk to you we'll soon. Will do. All right, Victor. Thanks awesome. so much. Thank you. Huh? Um, bye. Bye. All right. There you have it. That was the news. So that was Lizzie Sorella introducing our future guests here in the next couple of weeks. So you heard it. We're going to have uh, Daniel Velasquez from Carrera 777. And then we're going to have uh, Andy Kirker from Score International. So looking forward to those episodes, talking with those guys, chatting with them. Both of them. I ran across both of them uh, out, out in the uh, at the races and stuff. So I'm absolutely excited to talk a little bit more, especially talking with Andy. You know, there's been some progression when we checked in score he had just started and was working with them uh or really establishing himself with them as far as the liaison between the moto guys and the organization and and then continuing that now you know i'm, I'm thinking almost about a year later yeah because we talked before the baja 1000 last year so we'll see it was right about this time so yeah almost about a year so it'd be really cool to catch up with them see what's going on uh you know they were talking about safety and things then Let's see what they're doing and what they're up to now. But anyway, so that's going to be in a couple of weeks. Next week, uh, as you guys heard, we have the uh, episode with Daniel Velasquez from Carrera 777. You guys just heard the recap with Loren Lazard. And if you guys are into it and want to, you're more than welcome to scoot on over to the next episode and check out the little, the raw interview uh, with him here at uh, happily named Adventure Taco Studios. Shout out to Gnarly Day for that one. Uh, it was an absolute blast talking to him, finding out more about his racing and what he has done. Absolutely crazy. Some absolutely crazy adventures. Really enjoyed it. So big shout out to him. Thank you, guys. I appreciate uh, our, our neighbors, Nick and Debbie, introducing, making that introduction. It was really awesome. I blew my mind. So looking forward to it. All right. Remember, guys, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. <laughs>